I was once told to never build pinatas. And the whole idea behind that, it was kind of this metaphor that was supposed to remind us that it's pointless to pour time and energy into something that you know is just going to be destroyed. Like, it's not really wise to spend your time doing that. But then one day I found myself in an office being asked to do just that. Um, I, I had attended a Bible college in Canada, and I had worked for the admissions department, and every year we had this big youth rally that was a really, really big deal for that area of Canada, and there was hundreds of youth that would come onto the campus, and it was all hype, and we would try to get them as excited as possible for what was going on, and then we would share messages about Jesus, and kids would give their life to him. And it was the 10th year that we were doing it, and so they wanted this birthday theme. Like, it was the 10th birthday of Encounter. And so they, they almost had me make a life-size cake that, like, people were going to jump out of, but that didn't end up happening. <laughs> but they said, here's our idea, is we're going to make this life-size pinata, and the two MCs are going to pretend like they're just not a part of that session, but they're going to be hiding inside the piñata. And then the piñata is going to be hoisted up, and we're going to get a youth pastor to come up on the stage with a metal baseball bat and just start hitting the piñata. And then there's going to be a trap door, and this trap door is going to open up, and the guys are going to come out, and the youth pastor is going to be all embarrassed, and everyone's going to think it's awesome. And so we want you to make the piñata. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> So there's the piñata. So for the next few weeks, I spent hours and hours and hours building this piñata. And I had to, like, recruit this team of people who could figure out how to make it structurally sound so that two grown men could fit inside of it and it wouldn't fall through. And I had to, but yet it still had to be light enough that it could be lifted up. And, I mean, I went to Bible college. I'm no, like, architect, so I needed help with that. I needed to recruit people. And then I spent hours decorating it to make it look like the most classic piñata possible and I was pretty proud of it like you can see I looked I looked pretty proud of it I loved it I, lo I named it Chachi <laughs> this is Chachi the piñata so after this was finally completed I remember sitting in the audience as this thing was hoisted up knowing that there's two men hiding inside of it kind of like a Trojan horse type of thing <laughs> Um, but then I remember as that youth pastor got up there and he got out that metal baseball bat and just started wailing on it. Nobody was harmed. <laughs> Nobody got any concussions. They ended up coming out. It was great. But even though I knew that it was happening, even though I wasn't surprised by the fact that this thing that I had poured myself into was going to be destroyed, there was something in me that still stung watching that. So from what I've heard, you guys have been walking through the book of Malachi, and it's this book where God is talking about this covenant that's been created with his people that he loves so deeply. And even though it wasn't a surprise to him, he watched as this was being broken and destroyed and hurt. And that cuts him. And so we see all of these charges and all of these ways that the people are being called out for how they have hurt this covenant that's been between God and his people. And God's angry 
I recently listened to a Tim Keller message where um, Tim Keller is talking about righteous anger that's from God and that the purest anger is actually an expression of love. It means that you're defending the thing that you love so much that you hate anything that gets in the way of it and you're willing to destroy anything that gets in the way of it. So here's God saying, I have this relationship with you and I love you, right? It starts with this reminder that this covenant is because I love you and these words are because I love you. But then he starts attacking all of the things that get in the way of that love, the sin and the corruption and the brokenness of that covenant, of that relationship that hurts his heart. But what I love about God is that even though he's brutally honest, he ends this book with a glimmer of hope of reminding his people that this isn't the end. This isn't over. So in Malachi 4, verses 4 to 6, it says, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. As we dig into this passage, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you that we have the space this morning to encounter your hope. That we have the opportunity to dig into your word and know that even though it was written thousands of years ago, that it can still pierce our hearts today. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. I pray, God, that whatever words are mine, that they would fall to the floor and whatever words are yours, God, that they would pierce through to each of our hearts, including mine. Spirit, would you speak? Remind us of who you are and of whose we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The thing about hope is that often we think about hope just being a future thing, something that's coming. What I loved about uh, what Justin shared a little bit um, during right before communion is the hope that we can have remembering where we came from remembering where it all started and where God has taken us from. And so he starts verse 4 by saying, remember. Remember this law that was given as the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and after they had been taken out of generations of slavery and they were being brought into the promised land, they had nothing but God himself. Remember this law that was given as an opportunity to live in the very best way possible, in the most healthy and whole way possible, where people could live in unity with one another and with God. Remember this law that represented almost like vows at a wedding. I did a wedding a couple weeks ago, and at the rehearsal, I accidentally said waffly. Whatever. <laughs> 
praise the Lord, I didn't say that during the ceremony, but those vows are significant, right? This promise to one another that this is the, the relationship that we are devoting to one another. Remember that. I think back to when I was 15 years old, and my life up until that point, Jesus had been a part of it. When I was four years old, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. I accepted him as my savior. Um, but for much of my life at that point, Jesus was a little part of my life. I knew him and I loved him, but he wasn't everything to me. And I remember when I was 15 and I went to a church camp one summer that I had gone to for many years. And I remember walking into that week saying, you know what, I feel like I'm missing something. Something is not complete. And I remember praying throughout that week, God, I want less of me and more of you. And for the first time in my life, I heard the voice of God speak to my heart. And he said, if you want me to take all of you, then you have to be willing to give it. And I didn't say yes right away. I'm like, let me think about that, God. By the end of the week, I remember the moment when I said, okay. I don't know what all this is going to mean, but I know that in this moment, what you're asking for is not just part of me, but all of me. Every single part of my heart and every little bit of my future, all of my life is yours. In that moment, his peace met me in a way that I had never known. And I went from someone who was afraid and purposeless to somebody who knew that because he had my life, that he was going to take care of it and that he was going to take me farther than my plans could ever take me. That was in Iowa. I grew up in Iowa. Ended up, uh, God ended up calling me to go to a Bible college in Canada. Um, I ended up in East Africa and Kenya for a little bit, and then in Atlanta, Georgia, and then finally here in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And there's moments when I'm, I'm living my life for Jesus, and I feel like I'm pouring myself out, but I, I just wonder in moments, like, is it worth it? And there's moments where doubt meets me, and there's moments where fear meets me, and there's moments when I wonder if everything is going to be taken care of, if I'm going to be taken care of. And in those moments when I need help the most, one of the things that he constantly reminds me of is remember where I took you from. Remember where this started. That even though you had known about me, the nation of Israel, they had known about God, but there was a moment, a significant change in the relationship when something happened that took them deeper. And there's times where God says, remember that moment when I asked you for everything and I met you and I gave you hope and I gave you peace and I gave you a purpose when, when you had nothing else. And remember how faithful I've been since. That the times that you, I called you out of everything that you knew and, and into cities and communities where you didn't know a single person. <laughs> Remember the times when you had 17 cents in your bank account or the times when you were hurting and your heart was broken or the times that you were put in positions where you felt entirely inadequate and you had nothing to offer and remember how I've supplied for you. Every single time I'm going to do it again. Remember. 
he's telling his people to remember. And so often, that's one of the biggest things that we need to do in moments when we feel utterly hopeless is to remember that he has never left us. So we need to remember where we come from. But then he says, remember to obey. So remember where we came from, but be faithful in the present. And what's funny to me is, like, he just spent this entire book telling them about how they've messed up in obeying the law, right? He's just spent this entire book saying, you screwed this up. You've distorted this. You have corrupted this. But yet, be faithful. Yet, obey. Yet, you can, like, do this. Even though you've messed up, do this. He's saying, don't give up on me because I haven't given up on you. Don't give up on this. I used to be in uh, gymnastics and tumbling. And let me tell you, I got really good at wiping out. <laughs> like, there's times, this is my head, and, like, these are my feet, and, like, this happened a lot, a lot. And you just have to learn to get back up and to do it again, right? But my coach, he was the one who was kind of taking me through each step of the journey. He was the one who had taught me how to do it. He was the one who showed me, like, every little technique. And so in the moments when I fell flat on my face and I'm laying there on the mat, he could sit there and explain to me how I got there. And he did. Like, you pulled your head here. Like, this was where your misstep was. He would show me the ways that I messed up, but he didn't let me just sit there in the mat in defeat. And it could have been so easy to do that. But he believed in what he had taught me. He believed in what he knew that I was capable of. Even though I had messed it up over and over and over and over again. And so he would say, get up and do it. And there's so many times when we can find ourselves in a moment of, man, I have screwed up so many times. What's the point of doing it again? But God's saying, don't give up on me. Don't give up on us. Because I haven't given up on us. This isn't the end. So be faithful now. So remember where we came from. Be, pre- be present and faithful in the present. And trust what's coming. He ends this with saying, look, I'm sending. I'm sending someone for you who's going to give you exactly what it is that you need. Who's going to be able to bring reconciliation and make things right again. And because of who we know God has been all throughout Scripture, we know that his word and his promises are never void. They're never empty. So when he says, look, I'm sending someone, we know that he means it. And eventually he ends up sending Jesus. This is the end of the Old Testament, and there's hundreds of years of silence after that. But then Jesus enters into the world. He enters into the picture What I love about the book of Matthew is that it often talks about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the covenant. And so this thing that we kept messing up, Jesus became the fulfillment of that. 
Because what we know about a pinata is that, yeah, it's a pinata, but what matters is what's inside of it. And so God had created this covenant, but what mattered what was it, what was what mattered was was what it carried and it carried this relationship and he said no matter what it takes this is what I want this relationship is what I want and so Jesus became the fulfillment of that and carried this opportunity for us to be in restored relationship with him when we kept screwing it up And I often think about the disciples and how they walked with him and how they had been taught the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They knew the words that Jesus had told them and how he tried to explain to them what was going to happen. And they like kind of believed him, but they didn't really get it. And but they had trust in him. They had hope in him. And then he died. And I think about the hopelessness that that Saturday must have felt like after this, this man who was, was going to save them, who was going to bring peace and hope and reconciliation was in the grave. And even though they had said that they believed in him, I'm sure <laughs> that there was moments that they wondered, how the heck can this be? redeemed how can this be fixed but then resurrection came resurrection came and sin was defeated and death was overcome And hope was given to all people for all time. That this God who stepped into the world to become a sacrifice, to become a way for a relationship to be restored with him, gave up his life and then was raised again. There might be seasons in our life when we feel like we're living in that Saturday. I remember what God said. I remember what he's done for me and how he's always been faithful and he's always come through and he's never let me down. But I'm in a place right now where I just don't know how this could ever be restored. And it's completely outside of anything I can ever, I can't solve this. Whether it's my own doing, whether it's, you know what, I have screwed this up so badly that I don't know how this could ever be redeemed. Or whether it's things that have happened to us, I don't know how this could ever be redeemed. But we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to make all things right. And we know that if we live in him and are faithful to him and commit our lives to him, that we have hope of all things being restored and of being with him for eternity. And that is a hope that is so much deeper than any brokenness that we live in the midst of. I'd like to invite those who are going to pray to come forward. Um, and we're going to have an opportunity. Um, 
to minister to one another, to be prayed for, if the worship team would like to come back up. I don't know what circumstances you all find yourself in today. Whether it's that sense of, man, I have messed this up too much. I don't know how God could ever still want me, but he's saying to you, I haven't given up on you. This isn't the end. Don't give up on me because I haven't given up on you. And I don't know if any of you are in a place where circumstances seem like they're too much to be reconciled and too much to be fixed. But Jesus is saying this isn't the end of the story. I'm going to make things right. I'm fighting for you. And I'm on the winning side. So I want to pray with us collectively. And then there will be an opportunity to come be prayed for. Jesus, thank you for the hope that we can find in you that is greater than any circumstance of this world, that is deeper than any amount of brokenness, that is greater even than, um, like we can have hope in you even when we don't feel it, that it's deeper than any sort of um, sorrow, that it's deeper than any doubt, Holy Spirit, come. Would you renew our, our hope in you, our ability to trust in who you say you are, even when nothing makes sense? Thank you that you are a God who can be trusted in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.